Baptist Church, Charlotte. Hello and welcome everybody. Um, we're just getting started. Um, we have a nice Bible study for you tonight. Uh, at least I, I enjoyed the study portion and um, I'm hoping that you all will get a lot out of it. I'm waiting for one of a visitor to, to join. I invited someone tonight that I don't see her on here yet. Uh, Sister Jasmine. This is the woman that I baptized um, yeah. three weeks ago. Yeah. So I sent her the, the link. But hopefully she'll get the chance to log on. She does have two small children, so we'll give her uh, a little bit of... Um, yeah, she's not on yet. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, I need I need someone to get us going and pray. Um, you know what, Reggie, pray for us and get us going that our hearts will be receptive to the word of God tonight. Would you please? Yeah. He's changing rooms. Hold on. Okay. Putting on his prayer cap. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Most gracious Father, we come for your presence. Come to know how. We thank you for your many blessings. Oh God, we thank you for just giving this opportunity, Lord God, to come before you, Lord God, in prayer. Oh God, we ask in Jesus' name, bless the man of God as he bring forth that word. Give us that what we stand in need of, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to remove ourselves so yes. we may be able to receive your word. Yes. That's all that we say and do. That's your name. We see the praise, honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, we need blessings. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes. I do want us to remember now that we are entering into the Christmas season that while lots and lots of us will have a great time visiting with friends and family, there are always people around this time of year that get very lonely, either because they're in Charlotte by themselves. Um, so keep an eye out for those people, particularly those who are here studying um, at school, colleges uh, that are in the area and they're here by themselves. We, Venice and I pay special attention to people that are by themselves, people who are single, and, and we, we try to wrap our arms around them so that they will feel as though they have um, a resource uh, to reach out to um, during this time. People get very lonely during Christmas and New Year's time. It is typically a time of celebration and family, but if you are not around family, it can get lonely. Amen? So I want you to pray Amen. and then reach out to them if you see them um, and just embrace them. And I also want to remind you um, of our party. We're having a potluck party on December the 9th, which is um, um, just coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, from four to six at our house. And it is... Um, it is a Saturday. If you would please just swing by and, and fellowship with us. If you don't have anything to bring, that's fine. You can come and try Sister Venice's jerk chicken. Um, if you would, we would appreciate that. We just want to spend some time in fellowship. I'm not doing jerk chicken, brother. I'm sorry. It's potluck. It's finger foods. <laughs> what do you mean? You break my heart. Please, no. We're, we're, that's why I raised my hand. We are doing light hors d'oeuvres. Light finger foods. Light finger foods because we had a heavy Thanksgiving and we're heading into a heavy Christmas. So in the middle, we can't be heavy too. So we just gonna have to lighten it up a little bit. Y'all are changing my menu on the fly. On the well, no, no, you were adding stuff on the fly. Y'all are too much, man. Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I yield to you all and you got it. So whatever you all say is fine. Finger food is great. But but they, those little chicken wings can be finger food too, right? I'm starting trouble. Never mind. Yeah, they can, but but just no fries. <laughs> Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 is my text. Isaiah 59. Um, I want to read verse 8. I want to read verse 8. The Bible says, quote, The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. I'll read that again. The way of peace, the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. I'm reading from the NIV. Isaiah continues in his prophecy and he says, quote, They have made their roads crooked and no one who treads on them knows peace. And so my subject tonight is our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Peace. Now, the words that I read earlier from the prophet Isaiah could easily be said about the town of Bethlehem in the time of Jesus. And I'm sure you will agree that those same words could be said about our world as of late, given the turmoil and wars that is in the Middle East and in Europe right now. And some of you might even say those words could be said about Charlotte, uh, you know, Charlotte in, in this day and time. But into this time, into this time, the prophet Isaiah speaks of the Prince of Peace coming to Bethlehem. Uh, If you were to read Isaiah chapter number nine, he continues loudly, um, and and especially at this time of Christmas, this rings true in our hearing. He says, verse number two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, speaking of Jesus as the great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them this light has shone. You have multiplied, speaking of the great light, multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, Jesus. And as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken them as on the day of Midian. Verse five, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So far the scripture. Now we know about whom Isaiah is speaking. I mentioned it a couple of times and he he is explicit in the next verse, verse six, Isaiah chapter number nine, verse six. Many of you can quote this from, from memory. He says, for unto us, a child is born. And unto us, a son is given. We're talking about the Prince of Peace, right? And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And yes, the Prince of Peace. Hear this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of his father David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and even forevermore. And then he lo- I love this phrase. He says, the zeal of the Lord 
will do this. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. In other words, he's not leaving it to chance. God's going to do this thing. We live in a world, we live in a world today that is unable to stay at peace. We, we can't live in peace for, for any, any um, long period of time. Now, of course, we hope for it. And every new year we talk about it, we preach about it, sing about it, and we pray for peace. But every single year meets us with disappointment, fulfilling the Lord's command that we will always have wars and rumors of war. But we always hope for peace. We just can't attain it yet. There was a time in history, a moment when the promise of peace came forcefully and wonderfully to us. In Luke 2, when he records, when he talks about that moment where the Bible says, <clears throat> and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men the angels the bible says was looking into this miracle that was being performed in bethlehem of judea where god overshadowed the virgin mary and conceived in her womb the christ child and the angels were like bugging out if i can use that phrase um they couldn't believe it they couldn't believe what was happening, that god rolled himself in flesh and placed himself in a virgin's womb, the angels were astonished and they were like, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace has come and goodwill has come to all men. We'll talk about that some more later, but I wanted to give you some sense of, of how amazing this incident, this occurrence was. Even to the angels, it was an astonishment. But I want to take you back with me and how uh, it probably was in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. Well, there wasn't much that looked peaceful there. We know that. The streets were crowded and the, it was bustling with commerce and the businesses were crowded and everybody was in a hurry. Just like Charlotte and probably just like New York, wherever you're from. People are busy trying to go about their business. At this time in Bethlehem, it was filled with strangers due to the national census that was imposed by, by someone everybody hated, Caesar, right? Uh, the out-of-towners hated being in Bethlehem, and, and the local folks hated all the traffic brought by the out-of-towners. Somebody say Charlotte. <laughs> and, and they both hated the Romans. So Bethlehem was not a peaceful place to be at this time. From our text, Isaiah 59 and 8 says, the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. But then we read again in Isaiah chapter number 9 and 6, where the prophet tells us about the coming prince of peace. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So we look at this title, these titles uh, that, that is given to this Christ child. And the one that, that I want to talk about tonight, of course, they're all quite special, is this title, Prince of Peace. Both of these descriptions of Jesus, 
first prince, and peace have specific meanings. I want to examine them for a little while in our Bible study. So first of all, Jesus is a prince, right? In Hebrew, the phrase prince of peace is translated sar shalom, sar shalom. Uh, if you practice your Hebrew out loud, say it with me, sar shalom, right? Jesus is the sar shalom. S-A-R, sar is the word for prince. And as you know, shalom is the word for peace. Normally, when we think of a prince, we think of the son of a king, right? Right now, uh, King Charles III uh, is ruling in the United Kingdom. And his son, Prince William, is the heir apparent, the king to be, but not yet king. He is the prince. I'll get to that a little bit. That's an important distinction. But the word Tsar in this usage uh, literally means the head person, the captain, the governor, or the prince. It refers to the man in charge, the go-to guy, the, the big kahuna. Um, I have read that a prince in this time, the Middle, East, the Middle East, the Tsar was usually more involved in the day-to-day -day affairs of the, of the life of the people and of the, of the leading of the country, more than the king himself. Now, the king usually sat on his throne signing orders, uh, paying for the, the, the running of the government, while the prince, the Tsar, was out in the trenches governing the people. Amen, somebody. I hope this is, I hope this is hitting you. We've got modern day examples of that. We see uh, in today, the modern day, let's pick up a, a country that has a monarchy. There's several of them that still have a monarchy as opposed to a democracy or communists. Uh, let's pick Saudi Arabia, where the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman refers to as MBS, is actually the supreme ruler that runs that country. His father, the king Salman bin Abdulaziz Al Saud, was crowned in 2015 as king, but he serves largely in a ceremonious role. Prior to his ascension to the throne, he too served as the crown prince and ran Saudi Arabia, just like his son does now. Uh, you know, their, their wealth come from, from, from oil, right? His net worth is estimated to be around $50 billion. Um, his grandfather, known as the Ibn Saud, Ibn Saud was the founder of Saudi Arabia. The Romans had a very similar word for their ruler. He was called the Caesar. Come on, scholars, we can get you with it. Caesar. They, they had many Caesars. They had many Caesars. Julius Caesar is famous. Caesar Augustus. Nero Caesar, he was wicked. All of whom at one time served as the head guy for a period. The word Tsar or prince, especially taken in context relative to Isaiah 9.6, implies that Jesus is the supreme ruler. He is a direct descendant of the King David and is in the royal lineage of the king. Now, a prince commands respect. Jesus, our prince of peace, commands the greatest respect. 
is to be held in the highest esteem. That means we are to submit to his authority under all conditions, not some conditions, under all conditions. That's when you're, you're truly serving the Lord. It means, the, therefore, we are to honor him and revere him above all else all the time. It means that we, we bow down before him in humility and treat him like the royalty he is. The question is, do we? Do we really? Because he doesn't rule from an earthly throne that we can see and relate to. We often forget that he is the supreme ruler of all earth and heaven and mankind. Jesus is our prince now and forever. And there's coming a day, if you scroll down to verse 10 of our text, that the name Jesus, the Bible tells us, that every knee shall bow to that name. Of those in heaven, those on earth, and even things under the earth. And verse 11 says, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is capital L-O-R-D to the glory of God. Philippians 2 and 10 and 11. Jesus rules from a throne on high, and from that throne, vast power is at his command. The government, the Bible says, shall be on his shoulders. There's no higher government than him. His word is above every word. His law is above every law. Everything bows down to him. He has a kingdom, a kingdom of unlimited power and wealth and glory, and he's sovereign. There's no match to his power. There's no real competition. He is in real com control. Jesus is the prince, the Tsar Salome. Yes, Tsar is the word for prince and Shalom is the word for peace. Now, now let's take a closer look at that second word, peace. We, we all kind of get a sense of what this is. The Greek word in that phrase is, it's pronounced Irene, but it's spelled with an E before the Irene. So E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, from which we get the name Irene. Is it really possible though? Peace, I mean, peace on earth. If you look around the globe today, at any given time, there are literally hundreds of wars, not just the two main ones that we're monitoring in, in Europe with Russia and, and Ukraine and with uh, Israel and Hamas. Not just those two, there are wars. There's probably 37 wars right now being fought in Africa against different tribes, against different nations. In South America and Central America, the same deal. So we pray for peace, but we, we're not seeing a lot of peace around here. We're not seeing a lot of peace around here. It could be a dream that we cling to, and especially around this time, when, when, when we, we revere the coming of the Lord Jesus, we remember him bringing peace on earth. I, I read a story earlier about a man who found himself um, on a train between two ladies. And unfortunately for him, the two ladies were fussing and arguing constantly about whether the window should be kept open or shut. 
One obviously was cold and the other one was hot. The lady fathers from the window argued that she would die of a heat stroke if it wasn't open. And the other said she would certainly catch pneumonia if it didn't stay closed. When the ticketer, uh, ticket taker arrived, the ladies begged him to come up with a solution. But unfortunately, he didn't have a solution for their problem. Finally, the man spoke up. He said, well, first open the window and that will kill one of them. Then close it and that will kill the other. And then we will have peace. <laughs> you see, many people have a concept of peace similar to this man in our story. And for, for, for those people, peace is the absence of conflict. But that's not the biblical definition of peace. That's not the biblical answer. This falls short of what God is presenting. In scripture, it means to have inner peace. The world could be falling down around you. There could be wars right outside your doorstep and still you have peace with God and peace in your heart. Um, the Bible calls it this peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. Uh, you, you should not be peaceful. You should not feel peaceful. But guess what you do? Because you have peace with God. So biblical peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in your heart, the presence of love the presence of generosity and grace, which is the gift of God, which is the transforming principle of our lives and relationships. Peace is a frame of mind that we have when we are right with God. Amen. And we find in Galatians chapter number five that peace is also mentioned as a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, and temperance. Love, love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace emanates out of the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have peace within you. Now you've got you've to submit to it. You can't let what's going on around you upset your peace. You should submit to the Lord and let the Lord bring peace to you. The desire for it is so well known that it's now become a cliche. Uh, in the Miss America pageants, the Miss World pageants, all of those pageants, contestants are usually asked, if, if you could have one thing, what would it be? And the typical response is world peace, right? And we've been having the Miss America pageant for decades. And many have tried. We, we just learned that yesterday, one of the, the greatest peace envoy in our country, Henry Kissinger, um, died at the age of 100. Now, Henry Kissinger, many, many of you may not know, but, but you know, was an aunt, he was the Secretary of State. And he traveled to China back in the 60s, I believe, maybe even the 50s. And he extended a hand of peace to then communist China. Uh, this is this is not the People's Republic of China, but this is the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, the USSR. Y'all remember that? 
of course, the USSR is no more, right? Uh, uh, many of the countries that belonged to the original USSR have broken away countries like Ukraine, which is what Putin is trying to bring back, right? Whole nother sub subject, right? Uh, but but uh, in an article to the Personal Journal, we, we read and we learn that not long ago, a study of the last 3,500 years of recorded history, over 8,000 peace treaties have been signed and broken. They don't last. Right now, there is a, uh, a, a pause in the, in the hostilities between Israel and Hamas. But we already know, Israel told them that, listen, as soon as uh, we get to a certain point and y'all can't give us any more of the, uh, of the hostages, hostilities will resume, right? So peace is hard to keep. The idea of peace is difficult for us because we seem to have so many mixed messages when it comes to achieving it. Despite the fact that Jesus has already come as Messiah and has given us his declaration that he is, in fact, the Prince of Peace, we still continue to prosecute wars at every opportunity. Back, back in March of 1863, a 17-year-old native of Cambridge, Massachusetts, slipped away from his home on Brattle Street hopped aboard a train headed for Washington, D.C. He, he wanted to fight in, in the war, uh, civil war, uh, join Abraham Lincoln's army. His name was Charles Appleton Longfellow. And if Longfellow is familiar to you, it should be. His father was the poet and literary, uh, literary scholar, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And you may have heard of him. And on November 27, as part of the Mine Run campaign, while in a skirmish during that battle of New Hope Church in Virginia, Charles was shot in the shoulder, the left shoulder. The doctor says he missed being paralyzed by, by less than an inch from his spinal cord. And on December 1st, 1863, word received at the Longfellow's home in Cambridge of Charles's injury. His, his dad, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and his younger son, Ernest, uh, left at once, left at once for Washington, D.C. Uh, for Washington, D.C. They were finally met up with, with Charlie and they brought him home. They reached Cambridge on December 8th and Charles began, to, began the slow process of recovering. Charles' wound took a considerable time to heal. The history says over a month after returning home, he still needed to get that wound regularly dressed. So, so why do I tell you this story? As, as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat nursing his son, giving thanks to God for his survival, he wrote a poem called Christmas Bells. Some of you may know uh, this poem. Some of the verses are familiar due to the hymn that was, was created after him. Uh, it says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. That was the name of, of the poem. Uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth 
goodwill to men. And though how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night and day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearth stones of the continent of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fall, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now that poem may not be so famous now, but back in the day, that's one of the poems that made Longfellow so very famous. The poem ends with a positive realization that though there was a lack of peace due to war, even then, if we trust him, God is able to give us peace. Now, by the way, Charles Appleton Longfellow was unable to sufficiently recover from his wounds to, to rejoin Lincoln's army. He was impatient to get back to his unit and the war went on, but that would not come to pass. Uh, the history tells us he was discharged on February 15th, 1864. This is, as you know, very, very shortly before the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And then the then slaves were freed under Lincoln's pen. But you see, peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Come on, somebody. If you have uh, uh, God in your home, you can have peace. No matter how difficult the circumstances are, you can have peace. Huh? If, if you have God in your heart, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, you may have lost a job. Yeah. Uh, you may have lost your, your spouse or your companion. Uh-huh. All of that may be happening, but if you have God in your heart, you can have peace in your life. Again, peace is not the absence of trouble. That's what this world uh, needs. They, it needs God. It doesn't mean that everything is coming up roses in your life. Uh, you may still feel the pain and the thorns uh, more than you can smell the sweetness of the rose. But if you have God in your heart, if you have God in your heart, you can have peace. So how can you know peace when the thorns of life are stabbing you left and right? When you are caught in the middle of the war within yourself, there is only one way to peace that I know of, and that is for you to surrender your heart to the Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew language, peace is translated from the word shalom, which means well-being, happiness, 
peace. If you remember, oh, about a year and a half ago now, when we were doing the tabernacle plan in this study, I, I gave you a, a, a study on the word peace, the word shalom. Jesus is our governor of well-being. He's our captain of happiness. He's our ruler, our prince of peace. He is the Sar Salom. Now, that is exactly why the angels said, as I referred to you earlier, when, when they announced Jesus' birth in Luke 2, uh, the angel says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace has come, which will result in goodwill towards men. So how is Christ the Prince of Peace? He is the one that makes peace between God and man. God's peace treaty was signed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and 13 tells us, but now is Christ Jesus, you in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed, broken down the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. You see, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two thus making peace. Verse 16 says, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's not easy for God. It wasn't easy for God to, to bring peace to us. It wasn't easy for God to, to have give us, given us Christmas that we celebrate. It was costly. It was not easy for Jesus. It was not easy to keep loving and coming after a creation that kept rejecting him. Have you ever been rejected? It is. <laughs> I know it's easier said than done, but it was. It's hard. I've been rejected, and if you've ever been rejected, especially by someone you cared for, maybe someone you loved. Come on, somebody. I know this doesn't happen to any of y'all. You're so perfect, but especially when we realize that Jesus would have had to go through what he had to go through when he came to this world, and especially the violence of the cross. Think about that. This child was born to die. A child was destined for suffering. He was destined for abuse and misunderstanding. A child whose life was in danger from the moment he was born. There was always a price to pay for peace. And through the sacrifice of his, of his prince of peace, we are reconciled to God. It is when we put our complete faith and trust in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and obey him and submit to him that our salvation is settled. And then we have peace with God. I, I'm almost done. I just want to read a couple more scriptures. Number one, John 16, 33 says this. 
Uh, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Gordon MacDonald, the minister and author of the book, Ordering Your Private World, he told this story and I want to share it with you. He says, a Nigerian woman who is a physician uh, at a great teaching hospital here in the United States came out of the crowd that he was talking to and to say something kind about the lecture he had just given. She introduced herself using her American name, right? And he then asks, what is your African name? And she, without a, without a hesitation, she, she immediately gave him her name. It was several syllables long. He says with a musical tone to it. And he then asked, what does your name mean? And she answered, it means the child who takes the anger away. And when I inquired, he says, as to why she would have been given such a name, she said, my parents had been forbidden by their parents to marry. But because they loved each other so much that they defied the family's opinions and got married anyway. For several years, they were ostracized from both sides of the family. They, my mother became pregnant with me. And when the grandparents held me for the first time in their arms, the walls of hostility came down. She says, I became the one who swept away the anger from both, both sides of my family. And that is where my name came from. My father named me the child who takes the anger away. And it occurred to me that perhaps this would be a suitable name for Jesus as well. But of course, the Bible says that his name is higher than any other name. But yes, when Jesus came, he was the child who took God's anger away. The Bible says that God's wrath was kindled against us. Jesus appeased that wrath and melted God's anger towards us. It was over. And then he brought us together again. He was the child to, that took our anger, God's anger away. He was the true Prince of Peace, the Sar Salom. Peace on earth can never start until we surrender one by one and let the Prince of Peace reign in our hearts. Amen. Amen. I hope this word encourages you greatly. I am happy to uh, field any questions you have at this time, but that's the, the end of my study. Today. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.